In part two of our series on Dean Coral, we'll discuss his ongoing killing of young boys in the Houston area. We'll break down Dean's sadistic torture routines he put his victims through and look at the police's failure to follow up on any possible leads. Finally, we'll take a closer look at the two young men Dean recruited to help him commit these heinous acts. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. Who can take a young man, torture him till he's dead, cover him with lime, and then bury him in the shed? Stick around. The Candyman. The Candyman can. This is Necronomapod. Four more bodies were found yesterday on a beach about 35 miles east of Galveston. Large plows were brought in to dig up a stretch of beach one and a half miles long where sheriff's deputies had been told by two of the accused murderers in the case that other bodies could be found. The total number killed in the largest recorded sex perversion and murder case in U.S. history now stands at 27. Authorities believe they may have recovered all of the bodies. 17-year-old Elmer Wayne Henley, who has been charged along with another youth with murder, is being kept in isolation in a Houston jail because of reported threats on his life by prisoners. Henley has said publicly he shot and killed Dean Coral during a party for young boys at Coral's home. Coral is alleged to have done most of the killing. So last week was a good time, right? Fun for the whole family? Feel good stuff. Yeah, good PG content. Sure, it'll get better tonight. You think so? No. Dean turns his life around, right? <laughs> and, and actually becomes like a good candy man. What a good candy man tale. Just sticking to the candy part. <laughs> yeah, he just opens yeah. up a chocolate factory. Willy Wonka-esque. Yeah. Could give away the candy without <laughs> raping and torturing That'd them boys. That'd be the proper Whoa. way to give away candy. Dude, you just blew my mind. <laughs> just give it away as a nice gesture. Here you go. Here's some uh, Tootsie Rolls. Not going to murder you and cut your genitalia off. Do you think he hated <laughs> Halloween? Because he's like, fuck. Guess I'm closed for up tonight. I'm just going to get candy everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, or maybe he supplied all the candy for Halloween. Maybe like everybody uh, bought it from him. Maybe that funded, good business funded his activities for the rest of the year. Yeah, good business day for him. But he had to look at the streets all filled with prey and he couldn't do anything. He's well, give maybe out, he did. He's I don't know. Give out candy yourself, I guess, you know, still. You're just not the only one in town. I don't do that. I don't give out candy. No? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get your house soaked in egg, fella. And I'm going to do it. That's just rude. I go walking with my kids. I don't do it. They take and you don't give. All right. I see. Not even you don't even like do the bowl and just I let did like the, the first three greedy kids take it all. Yeah, I did the one year. Like I filled it up real big. It was fucking gone like right away. Cause I saw I have the ring, ring doorbell, so I watched. And I was like, <laughs> for real, like the third or fourth kid, they just snagged the whole bowl and took off. Maybe this year I'll come sit on your front step, like with like in like a cloak, like just kind of kayfabe it, <laughs> and then like if the kids like a greedy shit, I'll scare the fuck out of them, and then they'll never do that again. There you go. It's a lesson to be learned. Better yet, why don't you dress up like a gray and go stand in front of the ring doorbell for a little bit and try to make contact. Like I go to try to make contact with Ian at this doorbell. He's seeing it, but he's not home. And I'm like, all right, Mr. Chan. And I just go away. And he's like, no, fuck, we got to run home quick. Spilling kids candy everywhere. You only get one chance in this life and you blew it. <laughs> he sees the gray just walk back to the street, get in a Chevy Traverse and drive away. <laughs> Ian's like, something's, something's a little off here. Well, laughing was fun while it lasted. Anything else new or fun to discuss? Not really. No, I'm, you know, 
little bummed out reading all these notes. I know. <laughs> yeah. Not great. I will tell the listeners because I'm I'm Mike, the guy who follows through on nothing. I desperately try to get you guys to do the mustache picture with me. Declined. <laughs> I had a mustache like two weeks ago. I know. But I gave you warning today. You could have came back with it. Yeah. Now I'm sitting here with a cold face and a mustache. Dave wants no part of it. I'm absolutely not doing that. <laughs> Dave, will Photoshop so you just look better. <laughs> That's your concern. I told you when you do your BTK photo shoot, I will do your mustache picture. Well, now I have a mustache and well, no friends to share with. <laughs> I was going to keep mine, but. I think you should. After a while, it starts making me feel like I told yeah, you like a registered a, sex offender. It's got a shelf life. Like, yeah. I usually will shave into one, which I did. My beard was getting just too long. It was irritating my skin. So I trimmed it all off and I was like, fuck it. I haven't had a stash in a while. Let's do it. But then like from here, I'll just let my beard grow back in. Like I won't shave again. Yeah. Probably. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see how all the, uh, the wives, the hot wives out there like it when I show up and, you know, emasculate their beta cucks. (laughs) It's a symbol of power, right? The mustache is. When, when used properly. When used properly. I know it yes. got ruined by all those fucking pedos out there, but when used properly, it's a it's a symbol of power. Dominance. <laughs> Mustache yeah. Mike showing up to your house, giving your hot wife free ride. The cuck's yeah. like, what, doing the dishes while she's riding your mustache? <laughs> mustache ride? There you go. I think so. Right. What, I mean, whatever she wants to do. I let Sometimes I let them control how they humiliate right. you know their husbands. They know more about it than me. <laughs> Get me an old fashioned cuck. Wifey's going for a ride. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's it. Now back to the story, I guess. Where we left off on part one previous rape victim of Dean Coral, David Brooks, walked in on two teenage boys strapped to Dean Coral's torture board. David saw Dean as a father figure and had nowhere else to go. So he went back to Dean's apartment where Dean told David that he was part of a child pornography ring. And then he was part of a sex trafficking ring of young boys. It's not clear why, but shortly after this, Dean dropped the sex ring story and told David Brooks that he was actually killing these boys when he was done with them. In exchange for David Brooks's loyalty, Dean bought him a green Corvette and offered him $200 for every boy he could lure to Dean, which is like $1,200 in today's money. Oh, okay. Something like that. That sounds right. What, what is it? Oh, thank you, Declan. Uh, uh, Dave Declan wanted you to know that per the conversation last week, we got a lot of comments indicating that back in the day, the sex trafficking ring was mostly done and people communicated through sketchy magazines that were known to be a part of the quote community. Quite a few Uh, people allegedly reach out. What magazines are those? Asshole. This could have been done off air. Uh, I I don't know. And I would be nervous if someone probably did know and provided us with that information. That is like Oklahoma City bombing and Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. All those guys met through those sketchy fucking like soldier of fortune. Yeah, where you could hire assassins and shit. That's where they met in the back like classified. All right, that makes sense. Because I asked the question, right? How did all these people get in touch with each other? Yeah, before like the internet and all that. So apparently it was the same way, just the magazines, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I saw someone's comment said code words. Yeah. Within ads and those type of magazines. Well, there's a whole purported connection to Gacy with this guy, right? With the sex ring, like the guy yeah. that was running that Dallas sex ring, his number one dude worked for Gacy and it's a whole big thing. So that's 
And it was almost, it was the same era, right? It was all that that same time period. DC was a couple of years later, yeah. so there's a good chance that they sense. were all included in this. Yeah, I think we might even mention Gacy later on in the series. Perhaps we'll compare some police departments. <laughs> so Dean's out cruising around in his little green Corvette. <laughs> Like, go get me some young boys. Who sings that? <laughs> Who is that? What? Who sings the... That's those? me. No, you, well, obviously not. I didn't think that was an actual recording. Uh, <laughs> the little red Corvette. Prince. Oh, that's why I don't like it. <laughs> that's not... A, I mean, come on. That's not a good song, right? It's not his worst song. Well, exactly. <laughs> I rest my case, Your Honor. I'm sure we'll give our opinions on David Brooks at some point later in the series. Yeah, I might. But $1,200 to a kid that is doesn't have a home, that's a lot of money. Um, and there's like the whole what if. What if he would have just gone to the police? But the one thing that we can say for sure is that it wasn't like there was just one apartment that boys were disappearing into. There definitely should have been a connection made here when we talk about like how many boys went missing from this area. But Dean averaged five different addresses a year at this time. He just kept bouncing from apartment to apartment, which I'm sure was part of his plan. You know, the best gift to give your understudy when you're running a murder sex trafficking ring, a flashy green Corvette. (laughs) (laughs) Who the fuck wants a green car? In motorsports, green cars are bad luck. Are they? They'd have like a green race car. I mean... They'll still do it if sponsors are like, no, we're fucking doing this. Green's our color, mm. but it's supposed to be bad luck in, in racing to have a green race car. Oh. I don't know if that transfers over to regular cars. I had not heard that, but. That green Mustang Steve McQueen drove in bullets. Pretty fucking cool, though. So I retract that statement because that just popped in my head. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, I could get down with a green car, but like, you don't. I don't even think they make. Do they do Corvettes in green anymore? Like, you don't see green Corvettes. You don't see green I don't cars, know if that's really think. a Chevy color in general. Mm-mm. Look at us. Car guy talk. Yeah. <laughs> we got oil under our fingernails. <laughs> the bodies of the two 14-year-old boys that we talked about last week, James Glass and Danny Yates, were buried in a boat shed that Dean had started renting on November 17th, 1970. However, they were not Dean's first confirmed murder. Dean's first known murder was of 18-year-old college freshman Jeffrey Known on September 25th, 1970. Jeffrey disappeared while hitchhiking with another student from the University of Texas to his parents' home in Houston. Jeffrey made it to Houston where he parted ways with his friend and then he was going to walk the rest of the way to his parents' house. According to Jeffrey's friend, they were dropped off at the corner of Westheimer Road, right where Dean Coral had an apartment. We know about this murder because David Brooks led the police to the body. So either David's timeline is off or Dean just told him about this murder. But Jeffrey was found covered in a layer of lime, wrapped in plastic, naked with a gag in his mouth, and bound hand and foot by nylon cord. I mean, in Brooks' defense, it's not easy to remember specific dates when you've killed so many fucking people, right? Yeah. It all kind of blurs together. And I think that this points towards Jeffrey Known is definitely not his first victim. To have him buried in a layer of lime, wrapped in plastic, that seems like someone that's done this before. That's expert level. Right, level. Yeah. Once you figure out what to do. It's not like you can get on like the internet and look up how to right. bury a body and get away with well, that. Well, at least that. Now you can all the time. I do it daily. Just to throw the Hopefully. FBI off. I do different <laughs> things each time. Just, you know, we'll see. 
I was going to say, hopefully on a VPN and with a Tor browser or something. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> a text message with the FBI agents that are watching my <laughs> stuff. How to beat a beta cuck so bad. <laughs> he wants to die, but you don't actually kill him. Instead, you rip his heart out figuratively by banging out his bride. Stuff like that. Stuff like that. The FBI agent's like, dude, you are harsh. <laughs> Settle down, pal. A lot of investigators think that Dean probably killed um, whoever his first victim was to cover up his crimes of sexual molestation. Like Dean probably left marks on the kid or something along those lines. And in fear of being caught, Dean killed the child. And then it just clicked in his head like, oh, this is way better than just raping people. I think he probably got carried away at some point and kind of like Gacy. If you believe Gacy, he accidentally stabbed that yeah, kid yeah. and he was like, oh, yeah, this is way I, better. I can get into this. We can't get into the gruesome details of every murder. One, because we don't know the specifics of each one. And two, there's just way too many victims. So before we move forward, let's get into Dean's M.O. A lot like John Wayne Gacy and his rope trick, Dean Coral used a trick with handcuffs. He would put them on um, and have the key hidden. Dean would get out, of, and of course, the young boy would be like, hey, I can do that. And then once the cuffs were on, that was it. Like we said last week, Dean had a piece of unpainted plywood that was eight feet long and two feet wide with holes drilled into each corner. Dean would handcuff his victim's hands to the top holes and tie their ankles to the bottom holes with nylon rope. Afterwards, Dean would spend hours or sometimes days torturing these boys. And the more he liked one, the longer he kept them alive. However, the torture board in his apartments wasn't the only place that Dean would torture his victims. Dean had a windowless white Conaline van that had pegboard in the ceiling with handcuffs and nylon ropes, much like the torture board. We know he used the van to kidnap kids. We just don't know the specifics of what happened in the van. You know, he wasn't worried about cops if he had this mobile uh, torture operation going, right? No, not, not at all. all. There was also a box found that was a little smaller than a coffin with air holes drilled in and fitted with nylon ropes. We don't know anything about what went on regarding the box. David Brooks would later say he only saw it used to transfer victims' bodies to the boat shed to bury, but nylon ropes that were found in there, too, suggest that it was definitely used for some form of torture. This is like our discussion a couple weeks ago, being buried and stuck in a coffin, but it's smaller than a coffin. Yeah. Sheesh. You can find pictures of this online, too. It's a really small box. Regarding the torture, Dean used an 18-inch double-sided dildo. He would meticulously pull out the child's pubic hair or other body hair one by one with his fingers or pliers. He would insert long, thin glass tubes that he stole from the electric company he worked at into the child's urethra and then snapped them off inside. There's proven evidence that Dean cut off the genitals of some of the boys and evidence towards Dean just biting them off. I mean, we're into Charles Lake, uh, Leonard Ng territory here and even beyond. This is some of the worst stuff we've ever talked about. It it certainly is. We don't know what... um, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng did specifically like there's hints of, you know, stuff. There's not much to even say about it. No, you know, your mind does that for you. Me as a 240 pound man, any of this stuff would, you would just want to die. Right. 
any of this type of torture. Oh, 100%. And then we're talking about a 12, 13-year-old. Sustained over days at some point for some of these people. And one kid got away or got an arm away and got a hold of a knife and stabbed at Dean. And you would Which probably think, then made it worse. No, he killed that kid immediately. Didn't oh, even torture like him. Like a rage kill. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. The more he liked them, the longer they stayed. So that's what it was. The more he liked him, the more he got off on torturing him. Yeah. If he didn't like you, then he just would kill you and think nothing of it. And then that's it. We've had a discussion before, but this is one of the examples of someone who was just born bad. There wasn't. At least that we know of. Yeah. All that much sustained trauma or in, at home or something like that, that you could point to. This was just an evil person. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. For what we know about Dean's life. Yeah. After Dean was done, his typical way of killing his victims was strangulation, but there were some that were shot. On January 30th, 1971, with the help of David Brooks, Dean kidnapped 15-year-old Donald Waldrop and his brother, 13-year-old Jerry Waldrop. According to Brooks, the boy's father was working on a building that was next to Dean's apartment when they were kidnapped. They were kept alive for at least a day before being strangled and buried in the boat shed. On March 9th, 1970, while driving around in Dean's van, Dean and David Brooks spotted 15-year-old Randall Harvey riding his bike to his part-time job at a gas station. David Brooks was friends with Randall and presumably talked Randall into getting into Dean's van. Dean took Randall to his apartment, raped him, tortured him, and then shot him in the head. And afterwards, Dean and David Brooks buried the boy at the boat shed. With friends like that, huh? <laughs> it's... These kids never knew it was coming either because they're friends with their friends, David Brooks. We've not ever discussed something like this with regards to a, a serial killer. No, this, this is, is very, cult, this is cult stuff. Kind of like the, the recruiting aspect of it and bringing in people. Yeah. So that's with a financial wild. angle. Yeah. What do you mean? Like paying them to do this stuff. Sure. But, but you know, he's sending out like that net, like, you know, you go get your friends, you go get your friends and, when I say I want someone, you bring me someone. Typically, that's, you know, that's some cult type behavior. Not to bring them into the cult, though, but to immediately dispose of them, which is a right. whole nother level. Right. And, and yeah, torture them, rape them and, and kill them. He definitely had a hold over David Brooks. Yeah. I could say there might be some cult stuff with that. Like Wayne his, Henley. Well, because he had the father figure type thing. So yeah. he, he looked up to him. He believed every word he said. We discussed that last week. Yeah. Wayne Henley. I don't know. Well, when we bring him up and we'll get to some thoughts on Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> just reminds be, me of Wonder Years. That right? might be up there with Keith, though, in my mind, that name. Wayne. Oh, you don't like Wayne either? I don't know. I'm starting to not like it more and more the more we tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> the next two victims are particularly sad because they had parents that actually looked for them. Like we said last week, a lot of these kids were from very broken homes and most of them were not looked for. And I guess it was normal in this area, too, for kids to hear about a job somewhere like on an oil field or something and just take off. Mm. And their parents are like, good. Well, yeah. Get even out though they're 15. Get out of that life. Yeah. Like even we'll at 14, money. 15 years old, they're like, good. Get out of here. And doesn't support you anymore. Right. You that's mean, part of it. As opposed to the kids that didn't want a haircut. So obviously they joined the hippie movement. Fuck them, right? right? They're out of here. <laughs> that was good police deduction, Mike. Come yeah, on. great job, cops. 
As far as we know, Dean didn't strike again until May 29, 1971, when he abducted 13-year-old David Hillegeist and 16-year-old Gregory Malley Winkle. The two boys had been friends since they were really young, but the slight age difference pulled them apart a bit, and Malley Winkle had gotten into trouble and was on probation. Because of that, David Hillegeist's parents wanted him to not hang out with Malley as much. On that day in May, the two boys were walking to a swimming pool where they were kidnapped, tortured, and strangled by Dean that night. Rewind a couple years back. Both Mally and David Hillegeist went to the candy shop to get free candy from Dean when he was handing it out. When Dean put the pool table and shit in there, David Hillegeist started hanging out there all the time. And Dorothy Hillegeist, David's mother, told him to stop going there. Not because of anything weird, like everyone else in the community, she thought Dean was this great guy, but it was more like a don't bother that man, he's trying to run a business. When Dorothy found out that David was still going to the candy shop, she went up and asked Dean to stop letting David in there. Dean told her it was okay that he had given Mally Winkle a part-time job, as well as Mally's mother. Dorothy said, no, thank you, and that was the end of it. But that's just an example of how his tentacles kind of go into this community. He's got them all fooled. Dean forced Mally to call his mother that evening before he was killed, and Mally said that he had decided to go to a beach in Freeport, Texas, with some friends and he would be home later. The Hillegeist immediately drove out to Freeport looking for their son, but Mally's mother held off because of Mally's probation. Mally had done shit like this before and she didn't want him going to jail for leaving town or potentially not reporting in with his probation officer. After some convincing from Dorothy Hillegeist, Mally's mother came around and accepted the fact that something was wrong, so they all went to the police. When the police heard the detail about Mally calling the night before, the boys were labeled as runaways, and that was it. The Hillegeists were supposed to leave for vacation that day, and they told police that there was no way that their son would run away. David had his bags packed, had $20 saved up to spend on vacation sitting on his dresser. It's a lot of fucking money in this time frame and for this neighborhood. This kid was ready to go, but police said, mm. nope, he's a runaway. I'm sure they made him leave and wouldn't listen to anything. Yeah, the Hillegeists are treated terribly by the police but hey the cops got to happy hour right two for one special busted some weed smokers that <laughs> night i'm sure yeah, right stuff that really matters mally's mother was a single mother and on very hard times the hill guys were better off but not by much so they printed out 500 posters and offered a thousand dollar reward for information on where the boys were dorothy hill called the police every day and was pretty much told to fuck off so the Hill guys took out a loan to pay for a private investigator. They ran out of money, but the PI continued to work for free because he could see how desperate the Hill guys were. The PI came up with a lead that the boys were potentially kidnapped by a pimp in Monroe's, Texas, who went by the name Chicken Joe. Fred Hill guys, David's father, drove to the bar where Chicken Joe worked out of. It was called the Silver Dollar Saloon, but he had no luck finding the boys. Chicken Joe, huh? Probably not the greatest pimp name. I, um, if your name's Chicken Joe, your name's Chicken Joe. You that's know. true. It's it's God given, right? The pimp game. <laughs> um, <laughs> didn't last week we talked about when you had mentioned Dave? I think that they were going to bust people for smoking weed instead of you know going after these mm. potential missing kids. Didn't we also say it was like pot smokers and homosexuals and like that's who they hated? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it was part Did of it, the yeah. police not think maybe, okay, in their warped mind, hey, maybe this is the homosexuals that are snatching up these kids and that would not drive them to go investigate this more because in their mind, they're probably thinking, hey, that's probably what this is. Let's go bust, bust all them and put them in jail. Yeah. Did any of that ever come about? The police chief. And again, um, that's based on their warped mind. I'm not saying that's what they should have been doing. Their police chief, um, Chief Short, he used the resources that they had, the limited resources they had to bust people for smoking weed. Mm. And then he raided a bunch of gay bars That's and right. stuff. And that was when he didn't accept the government federal money. Because right. he was going to, oh, we're going to do this by ourselves. We don't need handouts. So, yeah. so they did kind of use that a little bit to go after. Yeah, they raided gay bars. And gay bars mm -hmm. and, and, okay. Because he said he, and he was, used this as an excuse. And he specifically said that all gay people are child molesters. That's what I, yeah, I remember that last week. Yeah. So I just thought, you know, okay, if you want ammunition then to go after them more, why would you not use this? Damn. Right. Maybe they did. Not that they, they should didn't tell anybody. Right. Not that yeah. they should have, because clearly that's ridiculous. So with that lead, the Hill guys went back to the police with the information that the PI gave them. Instead of spending any time on finding the boys or any of the other crimes going on in this area, the police were like, who the fuck is this PI and why is he stepping on our shoes? The police found that the PI had an expired license, so they spent the money to prosecute him and had him banned from PI work in the state of Texas and still told the Hill guys that they weren't looking for their son. He's a runaway. Yep. That's great. I can't even imagine that mindset. Like, instead of doing your actual job, you're going to go after someone who you perceive as stepping on your toes for doing the job you should be doing. Yeah, it's a weird fucking mindset, right? Yeah. Can we reach out to the Houston Police Department for, com for, uh, for, comment? for comment on this? But it's the culture of the environment, right? It's it's the culture that these cops were are brought up in and hired in. And oh, this is yeah. what they know. From the chief on down, yeah. sure. And it's been happening probably at this point for decades. And that's what it is. When you read the book, the Hellgeists are absolutely just... I wouldn't say broken, but they're getting close with this when this PI is pretty much put out of business. Understandable. Sure. Yeah. Feeling powerless, right? Yeah. So being out of ideas, the Hill guys went to multiple psychics for leads. Every psychic told them something different, like, oh, your boy ran away to work in an oil field in Dallas or you're kidnapped and, and they're in San Antonio at so-and-so bar. The Hill guys traveled to every city and followed every lead given them to given to them by psychics until they literally ran out of money, like completely broke. There's at least six psychics that are brought up in the book. I feel so bad for this family. I have nothing but utter contempt for psychics. This fucking Sylvia Brown piece of here it goes. Got him started, Ian. <laughs> Sylvia oh Brown had nothing God. to do with this one, Dave. Oh my you don't God. need to piss on her grave, fucking people. Are you going to do our Howard Stern and dig her up and skull fuck her? <laughs> Someone should. Not me. Because I have a weak stomach and I, I'd be throwing up if I saw that. Cool Down Media does not condone the words and actions of Dave Namapod. <laughs> Declan, put out a press release. Vile scum. Psychics. Just taking advantage of these poor people who should not be coming to you for help because you're not of any help. And then you're going to take their money and have the gall to give them information that they think is going to be helping them get back to their kid. Yeah. I don't know how you live with yourself. Like, I that. don't know, man. 
it's not like it phased out either. There's that fucking TV show. It's like true crime psychics or whatever, where they get today. The, yeah. Yeah. But in all fairness, that's probably all at work, right? Like it's all, but bullshit. they're asking these people their opinions on, like, on actual missing cases yes, on real cases. And they're like, Oh, I see this, that, and the other. They had that twat from long Island that had a show for years, right? Wasn't that recently? Like the Long Island Medium or yeah, something, yeah, and would yeah. do live shows. Like mm-hmm. this is not fucking real. What are you doing? <laughs> How do they get away with? What that world stuff, do we though? live like, in? I agree. That's disgusting. I don't if know. If these people were psychics, that. they would fucking go and look at the lottery numbers for tomorrow and they would win a billion dollars and you'd never hear from them again. I'm sure there's some loophole in their rules that says yeah. that they can't they can't, you know, do I wasn't say can't gain, you know, financially, but that's exactly what they're doing every single day is gaining financially. Oh, Come on, people. It's not real. And faith healers aren't real. Or they'd be working in a fucking hospital. <laughs> Come on. What about astrology, Dave? What about astrology? Oh, my God. <laughs> remember last week, we there's no astrological way Dean could be gay. Oh, remember? Right. I'm telling you, psychics, astrology, and hypnotism. Fuck all of them. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. Now you got Dave all fired up. He's all red ass dave over there i cannot stand psychics i'm smack them in their fucking stupid face it's terrible to read about it too because i want to like, take dave to i'm not exaggerating those people drove all over fucking texas I'm sure they did based off of course of, you would you would do anything of yeah. course yeah they did exactly what anybody would do i don't yeah. blame them for that it's just terrible to read about the money they spent because people were just giving them bullshit answers Despicable. but again as a parent you like you don't probably regret a son of that you're going to no. you're going to spend every cent you can to get some answers. And it's unfortunate that they, you know, they were duped into going to psychics. But yeah, Dorothy Hillegeist had one last light bulb that went off in her head about a potential lead. She remembered that Mally had a, another friend named David, that being David Brooks. And David Brooks sometimes drove a Plymouth GTX. Dorothy saw the Plymouth GTX driving through her neighborhood one day and wrote down the license plate number TMF 724 because it it just looked odd to her at the time. Dorothy called the police with the information like, hey, could you please talk to this other kid, David? He knew my son. He's driving in this car now and stuff. And police blew her off once again. If they would have even bothered to run the license plates, Police would have found that the Plymouth GTX belonged to Dean Coral. Huh. Have you guys seen the Plymouth GTX? I just looked it up while you were talking. It's a slick looking ride. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. All those fucking Plymouths back then were cool. I I wouldn't know, Dave. I wasn't alive. (laughs) 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 All I had to do was run a license plate. Yeah, if they would have listened to her. Maybe, maybe the easiest thing you could have done back then. The least amount you could the have done. The least amount of work you could have done. Run a license plate. That's what I'm saying. They prosecuted, did paperwork to get that PI out of investigating shit. But they he, couldn't even. He was getting into stuff that they didn't want to get into. Yeah. If they would have probably interviewed Brooks for five minutes, he would have folded. Right? I think so. Yeah. So they could have saved, I don't know, 20 kids here. Yeah, they'd have done their job. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Here's an idea. Routine maintenance for your brain. Is this something you've ever thought about? Considered? How well would you take care of your car or home if you knew you had to keep the same one your entire life? 
because that's exactly how our brains work. So maybe it's time we start treating them that way. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. The good news is there are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language, exercising, or even taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Your mental health should be taken seriously. Nothing can cripple your day or stunt your motivation more than feeling depressed, anxious, or sad. We all have a lot to deal with in our daily lives, be it the struggles of work, raising a family, or even paying the bills. Your mental health is one area that you shouldn't have to worry about. Whether life currently has you down or you're feeling unfulfilled, we're all experiencing our own form of strain on our brains and our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you could be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Necronomapod listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com Necro. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Necro. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Necro. And thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast. On August 17th, 1971, Dean and David Brooks ran into 17-year-old Reuben Haney, who was friends with David Brooks. David Brooks talked Reuben into going back to Dean's for a party. Once he got there, he was raped, tortured, and strangled, then buried in the boat shed. That's how almost all of these kids were brought back to Dean's was on the promise of a party. We talked about it last week. Those started with candy and soda, yeah, stuff like that. And then when we're talking about now, you know, 17 year olds, you know, 15, 14, whatever, they want to smoke weed and huff paint. Like when you were a kid, how many parties did you go to like this? A friend of a friend to go get weed or, or whatever it is like well, wait, all the time. You guys got invited to parties. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not I mean, crazy, right? That could everyone did that. It's not where you think you're going to that's going to happen to you, especially when it's your you, friend giving you, you up know, like yeah, this. This is yeah. not something that crosses your mind. Like no. this doesn't cross my mind now, right. and I've been doing a fucking podcast on it for three and a half years. Yeah, exactly. Let alone as a dumb kid who's just looking to go have a good time and get high or drunk or whatever. It's a perfect uh, hunting ground. Like if one of you invited me now to a party, it was like, oh, let's go drink, and I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm there. Next thing I know, I'm handcuffed. And I, Wait a minute. What, what what happened? Should we do that? Should we just chloroform him one night and then let him wake no, up on a I, board like this and see what I he does? I just told you I would willingly come to your party. Why do you get a chloroform? I mean, when, when you get there and then when you wake uh, up, you'll be tied up. And Well, I think you could just say, Mike, whoever can last in these handcuffs the longest without freaking out gets a free case of beer. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll beat all your asses. And you're like, oh, I guess you win. Now I'm like bent over a table handcuffed. Oh, man. We really shouldn't be making jokes about this. This is not good. This is awful. Throughout this time, there were friends of Mally and David Hillegeist that would help hand out those flyers. One of them being a good friend of David Hillegeist since they were very young, Elmer Wayne Henley Jr. Elmer Wayne Henley Jr., who only likes to go by Wayne, was born on May 9th, 1956 in Houston, Texas, to Elmer Sr. and Mary Henley. I'd go by Elmer. I like Elmer better than Wayne, right? I do too. I don't know. No Elmer? You're not an Elmer? 
Nah, I would rather be called Wayne. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you know what's funny is to me, Wayne is more hillbilly than Elmer. Really? Yeah. I don't know why, but give me Elmer over Wayne. Yeah, I with agree. that mustache you got going, like you could be like an ironic hipster Elmer. Like, hey, well, Elmer, what's okay. up? I could do that. You want to be a hipster yeah. Elmer? All right. <laughs> Garth Brooks has Chris Gaines. Mike Nalapot has Elmer, the hipster mustache guy. Elmer mustache. I gotta, I'm going to start wearing skinny jeans. What else do hipsters wear? Like flannel? Sure. Okay. And a mustache. And, I'll, and I drink nothing but IPAs, <laughs> which is great for me. Okay. No problem there. <laughs> Elmer Sr. was an abusive alcoholic that beat Mary, Wayne, and Wayne's three younger brothers. Mary Henley did her best to keep her kids in school, but the couple divorced in 1970 and things went south. Wayne was a model student at the time, getting straight A's, but after the divorce, he picked up some part-time jobs to help his mother pay bills, and then in 1971, he dropped out of high school. Before dropping out of school, Wayne became friends with David Brooks. They would ditch school together, shit like that. Wayne knew who Dean Coral was and that David Brooks hung out with him all the time. Wayne's quite the talker, but he still to this day stands by the fact that when he was handing out posters for the Hillegeist, he had no idea that Dean and David Brooks were responsible for those murders. Do we believe him? I think so. I think. I'll take your word for it. He is quite the talker, though. You know, I had forgotten that there was a Mindhunter episode. Yeah, They interviewed this guy. I went back and watched that today. That's pretty good. The side-by-side comparisons are pretty accurate with mm, that one. Yeah. Isn't that a whole show, though? Aren't they the ones that did Ed Kemper? That was yeah, really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the the guy that played Wayne was the guy that played Ned Stark in the flashback scenes in Game of Thrones. I just want to throw uh, that out for Mike. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, whoa, <laughs> man, Ned Starks, that's cool. <laughs> Look at him chopping off that guy's head and, and fucking his wife. Or in fur and it's snowing and stuff. It's <laughs> pretty close. Yeah. It's not bad. I got it. You I got the, there. I the gist of it. <laughs> the show in the previews for the prequel, it's coming out in a couple it weeks. It looks cool. Dude, it yeah. blew my it mind. <laughs> We aren't aware of any murders in between the murder of Reuben Haney in August and Dean meeting Wayne Henley. But in the winter of 1971, when Wayne was 15, he was taken to one of Dean's apartments by David Brooks on the promise that Wayne could make some extra money. In all likelihood, Wayne was going to be one of Dean's victims that David Brooks was luring there. But something happened that changed that. And we don't know what it is. Based on Wayne Henley's behavior and then the fact that he ends up actively killing kids with Dean, like actually strangling some of these kids, I think there's a possibility that Wayne or that Dean saw something in Wayne, like some of himself or something. <laughs> Apparently he was right. Yeah. yeah. Like so this like, kid is, he's like me. Protege. Yeah. Like David was like the son. Dean was like the protege. I think he or, chose uh, Wayne was like the protege. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he chose David because he knew David viewed him as a father figure and he could manipulate he, David. Yeah, and he had him under his spell. Wayne, Wayne, I think he was like, Oh yeah, me and this kid could be partners with this stuff. I think that makes sense, yeah. And maybe that's how Dean ended up getting involved in a sex ring. Maybe somebody saw it. Like, oh, yeah, I can teach you how to do this stuff. Maybe so. And again, a lot of this has been based on what we know from what Wayne has reported. 
Yes. Right. Because we don't know what Dean had to say. Clearly, we're not getting information from his family. Right. It's all Wayne and David Brooks. So it's it's what Wayne and, and David have or what Wayne has admitted to and, and what David admitted to. And their perspective. And their perspective. Guess, ultimately, yeah. Too. Sure. Yeah, because we'll talk about it. But David, we get a lot of that information from David from when he confessed to the police and when he talked during that time. Which we'll get to next week. Yeah. You know, he didn't talk about this shit at all. Wayne, on the other hand, when we say he's a talker, he'll give an interview to anybody. Anybody who wants to talk to him. Reach out to him? No, maybe Declan can do it. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) send an email. Wayne at prison.com. We'll let you guys know. Dean told Wayne that he belonged to a child sex trafficking ring and that he would pay Wayne $200 for every boy that Wayne brought to him. Wayne said that he blew off Dean's offer for months until his family hit a financial rock bottom. In early 1972, Dean and Wayne drove around in that Plymouth GTX that Mrs. Hillegeist spotted until they found a boy walking around that Dean liked. Wayne talked this boy into getting in the car and going back to Dean's on the promise of smoking weed. And then when they got there, Dean pulled the handcuff trick on this kid. Wayne then watched as Dean tackled the boy, tied his ankles, and put tape over his mouth. At that point, Wayne left Dean's, and according to Wayne, he fully believed that this boy was being sold into sex slavery. The next day, Dean gave Wayne $200. The identity of this boy is still unknown, and now with Wayne Henley in the picture, the rate of murders ramps up. Do you think at this point, Wayne is also like, that fucking David Brooks was trying to sell me and kind of... I don't know if it... Like, it, would it, it had to have clicked with him. his mind? Yeah. You would think. Like he's like, I maybe got but the, pretty lucky here. Nothing really comes of that, right? No, I think... And these two definitely were aware, based on David Brooks's confession and then the way Wayne talks later, they were both aware that any time if they fucked up, they would end up on that torture ta- table. Yeah, I guess you would have to be. They were always under the fear of that that being a possibility. But but there's never. I and I think now that you know, I'm spoiler alert. I read all the notes ahead of time. I did I did a reading. <laughs> uh, there's never really a time when Wayne feels animosity towards David, and even in the end, we'll see that he even kind of sticks up for David a little bit and. Doesn't throw him under any buses. No. Yeah, those two seem like Meanwhile, they're absolutely fine with each other. So that's just interesting then. It is. But although, I mean, if you start doing that yourself, maybe like, eh, all right, I get it. I'll let that one slide. <laughs> <laughs> he brought me into a life I didn't know I loved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. That's good. Well, maybe. That's also if you believe kind of what they're both saying. Sure. Again, again that's their narrative. Yeah, right. Who knows? One of the popular places to hang out in the Heights was the Long John Silver's parking lot. Oh, now we're talking, buddy. That is so Steubenville, Ohio. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's no uh, no Arthur Ter- Treacher's. Terrible, but. or is it good? You were getting. Oh excited. no, I'm talking about people hanging out in parking lots oh. for fun. <laughs> Everybody hung out in the Wendy's parking lot in uh, Steubenville. I like, all the I Long, like John, Long Silver's, John Silver's. Arthur Treacher's hasn't existed in years, right? Like there's all- one left in the whole country, and it's in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And I've been there recently. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it's not the same as Long John Silver's, though, right? Like no, it's, it's different. And I don't even think there's many Long John Silver's. There's left one anymore. of those in Worcester because I've been there as well. Jesus, this guy. You're the you're the fish fast breaded fried fish is so good. There is nothing better than Arthur Treacher's. It's the last one in the whole country, I think. 
one of Wayne's good friends, 18-year-old Frank Aguirre, worked at Long John's. After Frank got off work, he came out to see what everyone was doing, like what everyone was up to hanging out. And within the group was Wayne Henley, David Brooks, and Dean. And people describe Dean at this time because there's like tons of kids in this fucking parking lot, like teenagers. Everyone that described him after the fact said that he was like a, compared to him like a ghost. Like mm. a ghost just kind of in the background, never said anything to any of these kids, didn't socialize. Like he wasn't partying up like matthew mcconaughey like in the tasty uh, confused yeah where he's like you know yeah, partying like right with all there. these kids yeah, yeah, yeah. dean was just kind of in the background scouting which yeah. is maybe smarter for him right like you're not making yourself a presence right you're just there people know you're the candy man excuse yeah. me and and that's it well, he's got a sweet uh sweet deal where the whole town thinks he's a good guy you don't that's want to do I mean. anything You're to jeopardize that yeah. yeah but then you got your two guys minions out there doing your work for you yeah. you don't have to make the rounds smart it's clever when we start going on tour i'm gonna be sending declan out into the crowd <laughs> to be like pick me out the hot wives like i'm not doing it myself <laughs> i'm not gonna do it myself just give him my room key you know i'm staring at the marriott the suite up top like rick flair <laughs> Do the cucks get backstage passes to you or <laughs> no, no, <laughs> they got to go drink at the sad bar by themselves. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the hotwives get, get to come back with us, like the hot tub and, you know, and our party boss and all that. Okay. Oh, they got to go to the fucking, you know, concession line. <laughs> <laughs> well, send your wife back before the show starts. She'll be hammered drunk. Go buy Mike Namapod shirts at the merch table. <laughs> His and hers. I'm buying this shirt. Meanwhile, my my wife's blowing Mike. <laughs> I just got cucked live. At, yeah, and at it's, the got the, it's got the date show. in the city. Yeah, <laughs> I just got cucked, and it's got the tour date on the back. I'm buying this shirt while my my, my wife's blowing Mike. <laughs> <laughs> So Wayne talked Frank into going back to Dean's house on the promise of smoking weed. And once they got there, Wayne did the handcuff trick on Frank. So that's an important detail here in this this first one we know about. Wayne did the handcuff trick. See, protege uh, also becoming the master. According to Wayne, Dean dragged Frank into his bedroom and strapped him to the torture board. At that point, Dean told Wayne that there wasn't a child sex ring, that he was just murdering these boys. Wayne said that he tried to talk Dean out of it, but Dean raped, tortured, and strangled Frank. Frank was buried on High Island Beach, which is the second burial site that we know of. And that's where Ian is every week while we record. Hi, on here. I kind of teeter back and forth on how I feel about David Brooks at this point in the story. It's I, impossible to put yourself in that situation. Yeah, like you'd want to make you want to believe that that would never happen to you, and you would never do such a thing. But I try to think of know. his financial situation, his home life situation, and the fact that he just walked in on it. He wasn't brought in mm-hmm. necessarily. He just walked in on this happening, and then was part of the system. You're stuck at that point. I feel like David Brooks was more stuck. Wayne, on the other hand. This seemed to click with him right away. He took to it, apparently. And he has no excuse. He should have just immediately told someone yeah. about this. Yeah. Um, instead, less than a month later, David Brooks and Wayne led another friend of their 17-year-old Mark Scott to a party at Dean's. 
Mark was raped, tortured, and strangled, then buried at High Island Beach, just like Frank Aguirre. I, I guess we've talked about the cops not doing anything, but when these guys go missing around the neighborhood, does anyone connect the dots like they're all friends slash associates hung out with David and Wayne at all? No one ever puts that together? Like the, well, common the denominator. cops certainly didn't put anything together. Not necessarily the cops, but I don't know. I guess all these parents weren't exactly great and out looking for their kids. And and again, they all thought Dean was a good guy. He was the candy man. But not necessarily even Dean, just that they all were friends and associates of David and Wayne. Like that, that was a common denominator of all these missing kids. Yeah, no one was really putting it together. Either yeah. it was like you said, that kid got a job and now I don't have to deal with them anymore or mm. pay pay for him. A lot of that kind of attitude so i don't think anyone really gave a shit and people i guess weren't 100 percent sure they were even missing they were just like you said well because because according to the cops oh no we figured this one out yeah or and the ones who didn't care the parents didn't follow up you know we talked about dean forcing them to write notes home some of them that didn't search ended up believing it like one father got a, a note that said that his son was going out to i think it was san antonio to work on an oil field and when all this shit happened, someone called him and said, they found your boy in this mass grave. And he's like, no, they didn't. He's working on an oil field. He'll be back next year. Some of those parents actually wow. really believed the yeah. notes about getting a job somewhere. So, yeah, I don't think anybody was putting this together at all. Clearly. Was it also just a case of, like, given the neighborhood or the, the towns and the environment, like, everyone kind of knew everyone? So maybe they didn't make the connection that... David and Wayne were kind of always connected to these people. Mm. People noticed Wayne and David were like Dean's favorites, that those three were like connected at the hip. People in the community but afterwards they didn't th think anything was wrong with Dean, though. No, so everybody's talking after the fact, yeah, like after right. this all comes out, they're like, oh, yeah, they were hanging out yeah. a lot. Everyone's yeah, an expert yeah, after the fact. Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the time, if they're connected to Dean and everyone thinks Dean's this great guy, you're sure, certainly not going to think anything of them. No. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, Dean's taking care of those boys. That's I mean, that's the thing, too, yeah. is everybody thought that Dean was doing great shit for David Brooks and and Wayne helping them out in life and stuff. Nobody ever comments on the two drunk assholes, Dave and Mike, because we're connected to Ian. He's the good guy <laughs> with all the knowledge, right? They don't realize our buffoonery he lends us a bit of respectability <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just enough to get us by <laughs> we're now credible characters in the paranormal <laughs> and the ufo world right oh, imagine if he was gone and you and i had to run things <laughs> be like a fucking castaway when that plane goes down <laughs> the end. on may 21st 1972 they struck again with 16 year old Johnny DeLome and 17 year old Billy Baltz Jr. And they were both buried at High Island. Regarding Johnny DeLome, at the orders of Dean Coral, Wayne shot Johnny in the forehead and the bullet went in and came out his ear. Everyone thought Johnny was dead, but he picked his head up and looked at Wayne. And Johnny got out the words, quote, Wayne, please don't, before Wayne shot him again and killing him. I've been thinking about this scene all day, just trying to picture it. This is awful. Yeah. This is horrifying. And it, it, the way it is, is he was the way that it's told or Wayne tells it. It's like he was shot in an extended period of time when like multiple minutes went by. And they thought he was just dead there and he picked up his head. And God damn. 
Do you think that's Wayne being a little bit charismatic and, and dramatic? Or do you think that that might be how it went down? David Brooks said that's how it went down. Okay. And it was separate. Like they never yeah. talked to each other really. We'll talk about the search next week, but when they were making confessions, they weren't like really, you know, helping each other out with any of this shit. Okay. Can you imagine being that brave like Johnny was too? If you shoot me in the head and I'm still awake, I'm gonna look at me like, please just finish me. Like just let that be it. I almost think it might be just like a a reaction to the last thing he remembered. Like doesn't even remember being shot. Just remembers like being like scared and like thinking Wayne don't do that. That's that's interesting. Sure. Yeah, you could be. Dean moved into a new apartment in June of 1972. And within a month, 17 year old Steven Sickman was led to Dean murdered and buried in the boat shed on August 21st, 19 year old Roy Button disappeared. Then on October 2nd, they struck again with two boys in the same day which was the murders of 14-year-old Wally Simono and 13-year-old Richard Hembry. According to David Brooks, Wally and Richard were each strapped to the torture board, one on each side, and it was David and Dean in the room. Wayne came in the room fucking around with a 22, like spinning it around on his finger like a cowboy kind of shit, and it accidentally went off, shooting Richard in the jaw, taking his whole jaw off pretty much. Instead of putting this kid out of his misery, Richard and Wally were kept there alive until the next day and the whole time being tortured by Dean. So no words. Yeah. Man. By the end of 1972, the trio killed two more victims that we know of. On November 1st, 1972, Willard Branch Jr., age 18, was the son of a Houston police officer who that police officer ended up dying of a heart attack searching for his kid, possibly because he was the son of a police officer or just something happened. Dean cut off William's genitals before he was shot in the head and buried in the boat shed. Dean put William's genitals in a plastic bag and buried them next to his body. November 15th, 1972, Richard Allen Kepner, age 19, vanished on his way to call his fiance from a payphone. He was strangled and buried at High Island Beach. January 20th, 1973, Joseph Allen Lyles, age 17, He was lured by David Brooks to a party at Dean's and the same fate of all the other victims and buried at Jefferson County Beach. So that's a third burial spot. Between February 1st and June 4th, 1973, there were no known victims attributed to Dean Coral. Dean came down with hydrocell, which is fluid in your testicles, and he had to get surgery to correct it. So that's why investigators assume there were no murders during this time period. You ever get that, Mike? Just assume, you know. Well, anytime I have fluid in my testicles, I just blow it on some, you know, beta cup's <laughs> wife's tits. And that's the end of it, right? I guess so. I've never had any medical conditions. Okay. I have not had, what is this? Uh, can Fluid buildup. I just thought with all the, well, the jizz that flows through the, those balls ears, all that activity <laughs> that maybe. I exercise it regularly. Okay. Yeah, you got to work it out. Sure. You can't just let it sit. Got it. Blue balls is a real condition, pal. Is it? Yeah. I got I can't go four hours. <laughs> Hope we're not working late tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Just sitting over here. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Condition. <laughs> I'm not hard in the slightest. <laughs> I am not hard in the slightest right now. <laughs> 
during this cooldown period, Wayne Henley attempted to leave the Heights and enlist in the Navy, but he was rejected because he dropped out of high school. On March 7, 1973, Dean moved one last time to a house owned by his father at 2020 Lamar Drive in Pasadena, Texas. Between June and July of 1973, Dean Coral, David Brooks, and Wayne Henley would be responsible for at least another seven victims, and that's where we'll pick back up on part three. In part three, we'll go deeper into David Brooks and Wayne Henley trying to distance themselves from Dean. There's a little bit of a rift going on at this point. The final seven victims, the demise of Dean Coral, Houston PD grossly fucking up the investigation, and where David and Wayne are at today. Chin chin. <laughs> Who picked this asshole as a top? <laughs> that was that was yeah. me. I no, did but people have been requesting it for years. Yeah, because we were. What did we watch? Um, what's that new movie we all watched? We all watched. Yeah, all three of us watched it with um Stephen Hawk. Oh oh oh! Oh, Black Phone. Yeah yeah. Black Phone has Dean Coral vibes. So I'm like Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk. Yeah. What did I say? Stephen Hawk. Stephen Hawking. No. Stephen King's son wrote that story. I have never seen that movie. <laughs> Joe Hill did write that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am a genius. I do not like movies like The Black Mom. <laughs> that movie gave off real Dean Coral vibes. I'm like, I kind of want to pick up that book. The the, can- the I forgot about that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The man with the candy. Well, we've been getting requests for it for a while, too. I really had the urge to write. A lot of uh, Candyman song parodies. The Candyman can because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Yeah. You're going to ruin that, Dave? You're going to ruin that beautiful song? I thought it would be too offensive because this is such a Listen, Jimi Hendrix wrote a beautiful song. Jimmy. And you're going to go ahead and sit there and ruin it? Stop it. I just watched Willy Wonka for the first time like two weeks ago. That's crazy. I've never, never seen it. It's a bizarre movie. Like, why are all these old people in a bed and they don't leave? Like, <laughs> it's very strange. Well, you've seen all like, the people that are like, this old man didn't work for years. That's and then right. he gets a chance to tour a candy factory. He's immediately right up out of bed. Yeah. Imagine being in a bed, like a queen size bed with four people. I don't understand. Like, who wrote that as part of the story? And right in the middle of the fucking house, too. Like, can, you, can we not push you against yeah, the wall out of the way so mom, who's serving six people, can fucking sweep? It's so strange. How about when he gets the golden ticket and he's assaulted by all those adults <laughs> and he has to run away? Like, you're assaulting a child because he's excited about a candy tour. It's one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of fucking weird movies, let me tell you. Is it the best horror movie you've ever seen? <laughs> it's because bizarre. Like, imagine a kid wins a, a tour of Mally's and you go beat the shit out of him and try to take their ticket to go tour it. Oof. Very odd. It, that being said, it's not an awful movie. No, and I even like. Um, I have not seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, what's this? Tim Burton's version of it. Johnny Depp, right? Yeah. I really like it. I haven't seen that version. It's weird. It's fucking. I've seen really clips weird. and I'm like, oh, they took this up a notch. Like, <laughs> yeah. they went Attitude Era <laughs> with fucking Willy Wonka. Yeah, like it goes into a, a, a backstory about the Oompa Loompas and. Basically how he just fucking took them from wherever they lived and just forced them to come work at his. Sounds like slave labor. Yeah. Mm. Pretty much what's going on there. 
What is it? Is it the uh, the fat kid falls in the chocolate river and gets stuck in the tube? Yeah, Augustus. Augustus. Mm-hmm. And then the, the brat wants the golden egg and she sits and then she gets dropped down fucking the elimination chamber thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's that other kid that gets stuck in the TV. That's right. Because he was the cowboy, right? Yeah. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. There's a lot of shits in that. It's a cautionary all- tale. Be a good kid. Yeah, don't fuck up. And don't fucking drink those soda bubbles that make you burp and fly. Or else, you know. Or that gum that makes you turn into a big blueberry. I said good day, sir. (laughs) So aggressive at the end. He's writing his memoirs or whatever he's doing at that little fucking tiny desk. That is a really weird movie. Yeah. Yes. And then the next thing you know, they're in a fucking tiny ass helicopter. (laughs) This is all yours. This is all yours. Oh yeah, he give, yeah. He like what off. is happening? <laughs> okay, well that took a turn. I didn't expect us to do that at the end of the show. Thanks, Dave. Sorry about that. That's all right. All right, we got some new patron shoutouts. Thank you very much to Marcus Fuller, Skylar Hawks, R.I.P. Wayne Static, Ashley Neal, Dave Namapod's birth certificate, circa eighteen seventy two. Hardy har har. Wow. <laughs> Seventy-two. <laughs> You've lived a long life. It's got to be some kind of a record. <laughs> <I think> so. <laughs> Stacy Champy, Stacy Krupko, Christian Gumboa, Cyan Raptor, Dustin Gatekey, Darren Moore, Rayhan, Raw Rectum Stretcher, <laughs> Lee Sangria. Come King of the Kingdom of Semen. <laughs> These people. Carly Swinson. Xavier Lopez. Finn Gers in your snatch. Good one, Dave. Albert Purvis. Ashley Sag- Sagona. Anthony. Shane Karen. Karen. Dave Thorpe. Trey Visker. The Shaxter. Tammy Diaz, Tyler Shaints, Josh Trawick, Bradley Nevels, Shut Up Meg Piercings. Thank you all very much. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for also Mike's long lost testicle. <laughs> there was one last week. Oh, uh, that's right. missing testicle. Okay. So I <laughs> reunited. I guess you got yeah. no testicles. <laughs> <laughs> But their review says, hashtag Mike is my favorite. Oh, thanks. Mm. And D Farley. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Uh, so last week, we also mentioned that if you are an uh, active member or uh, vet veteran of the United States military to let us know, and we'll give you a special shout on the show. Um, we're honored that, you know, you guys have been listening. And I think we got one, Dave. We did. We heard from Andrew Pearson. He's on uh, active duty in the Air National Guard. Andrew, thanks for listening. Hell yeah. Thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you. Stay safe out there. All right, we got anything else? No. Another shit show next week, wrapping this motherfucker up. I guess we'll sum it all up next week, probably, right? Yeah. This is one of those fucking uh, Empire Strike Backs where it's like everyone's just like waiting for more and we're like, oh, sorry. See when the next one comes out. (laughs) (laughs) One of those Empire Strike Backs. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it's like, Mike. Whatever. I don't know, the one where Captain Kirk gets contaminated from Darth Vader or something. 
We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod, Amazon.com, search Necronomapod for all the latest merch. Necronomapod.com is the official website. And patreon.com slash Necronomapod for all of the bonus content. Thank you. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>